Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you today? Doing great, Jordan. Thanks so much for putting together what's going to be a wonderful podcast yet again. Absolutely. I'm really excited for today. So we'll start with the section from Sunday. This is James 1, 12 through 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is fully conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." So on Sunday, you talked about uh, John Phillips and his commentary on James, and you had a quote from him, God tests us to bring out the good. Satan tempts us to bring out the bad. Can you delve a little more into the distinction between testing and temptation? Yeah, so that's an important distinction that we have to really understand that when we go through trials and when we go through tests, certainly God leads us through those things. But when we are tempted to sin, that is never from God. God does not, um, God does not tempt us. He Himself cannot be tempted. And so I quoted John Phillips, who said, "God tests us to bring out the good. Satan tempts us to bring out the bad." What I neglected to share from Phillips' quote was the next two sentences that gave it a great example of this. He says, "For instance." All of Satan's attacks on Job were designed in Satan's nefarious, twisted mind to tempt him to curse God. At the same time, God was testing his beloved servant and refining him. So if we think about the story of Job, we remember that Satan appears before God and God says, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless in his ways. Now, remember, blameless in the Old Testament does not mean sinlessly perfect, but it means the overwhelming trajectory of his life is to honor God by the way that he lives his life. And Satan then counters, yeah, well, Job has a lot of great things going on. If he had to suffer, he would curse you. And God says, okay, I give you permission to go. And you can afflict him. You can, you can afflict his family. You can afflict his, his wealth, all the things. Just don't touch the man. So Satan does. And all of Satan's temptations center around his desire for Job to curse God. And when it doesn't work, Satan goes back to God and says, yeah, well, I mean, you wouldn't let me touch him. So all this other stuff is no big deal. So God said, all right, you have permission to afflict him. Don't kill him, but you can afflict him. And so he did. And Job had all these boils that appeared, and it was just, it was just awful. And even then, he did not succumb to Satan's temptation to curse God. God had to allow that to happen. 
And the reason God allowed that to happen was he would test his servant. He would, he would bring out the very best of Job. He would teach us through that test. You know, if we never had Job's story recorded in Scripture, we would never have Job chapter 38 through 42 in which God says, Job, gird yourself like a man. I'm going to question you, and you will answer me. And then God asks him these questions that shake all of us to our core. <laughs> Were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? Well, essentially, you're God, Lord, I'm not. And there are times when I speak about things I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'll surrender to you. I'll defer to you. I will honor and glorify you. And so what Satan intended for harm to Job, God allowed to happen for good to Job. And, and I think that's the primary distinction that we have to get. God is always working for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes that means he allows us to go through things that are not pleasant, but it's the refiner's fire getting rid of the dross and bringing out the pure gold that he has put within us. I, I got a text from one of our church members after the service that I wanted to share. This is really, really helpful. This comes from a teacher. This teacher said that he heard a quote the other day, said, when you are being tested and you wonder where God is, remember Teachers don't talk to their students during the test. And I thought wow. that was really good coming from a teacher's perspective. So, so if we're going through a test and we feel like God is silent or absent, I thought that was a good perspective. Teachers don't talk to their students during the test. Um, but that doesn't mean that our Lord and Master is not right there with us every step of the way. Yeah, that's a great thought. I really love that. So in, in talking about Job, it reminds me of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. He, he's immersed, but then immediately the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God drives him into the wilderness where he's fast for 40 days and then he's tempted by Satan. And what he's tempted with is, unlike Job, it's not just, you know, curse God. It's like, no, here's things like kingly things, kingly things that, you know, you claim to have claim to, That's right. hey, do these things for me and it'll all work out. So what's what's your take on that? I mean, it's it's another interplay of testing from God, but also temptation from Satan. Sure. Well, Adrian Rogers once said, a faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. And even Jesus himself, as he goes representatively for us into the waters of baptism, he goes representatively for us to illustrate his sinless perfection. And he has to be tempted in every way, even as we are tempted. The Bible tells us that. So he goes and he is tempted by Satan, but he is driven by God out into the wilderness. And so, again, you see this same interplay. God testing Jesus to illustrate to all of us Jesus' sinless perfection and, frankly, how we can counter Satan's temptations but also to illustrate to us how Satan operates. Satan is offering sustenance, so this, this relevant need, turn the stone into bread. He's offering this spectacular show of God's power as Jesus is tempted to jump off the temple and the angels will catch him and Satan even misquotes scripture and all those sorts of things. And then power, if you'll just bow before me, I'll give you all of this. And Jesus understood God is allowing this test to happen to strengthen him and to, to magnify God's glory 
even through this temptation. Satan is seeking to derail God's plan. So same thing yet again. And thankfully, uh, our Lord Jesus stood firm and uh, did not succumb to any of Satan's temptations. Yeah. There's a quote from Bram Polyak that I, I thought was really apropos for this passage of Scripture and just the discussion that we're talking about. The way of Messiah was the way of the cross, still is the way of the cross, and will continue to be the way of the cross. The crown of life will only be given to us after we have fought the good fight and remained faithful unto death. Mm-hmm. So it, it you just have to assume that we're going to be tested and that we're going to have difficulties this side of eternity. Well, and one of the things that's very interesting is that that phrase, crown of life, appears only in two places in the New Testament. And it appears here in James chapter 1, verse 12, but it also appears in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And let me read this. This is Jesus speaking, compelling John to, the, to write to the angel of the church at Smyrna. And Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. There it is again. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who hasn't here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So what is Jesus saying to the church at Smyrna? He's saying, you're going to suffer. You're going to struggle. Part of following me is experiencing this struggle. You're going to die in physical terms. But understand that I am giving you the crown of life. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, we will suffer for the name of Jesus. And Jesus calls us to remain steadfast under trial because the crown of life is coming for all who love him. So what would you say to someone who is in suffering and testing and temptation right now? And they, they're hearing, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. They're hearing these things and they're hearing about the crown of life, but it's just not on the horizon. They're, they're looking at difficulty in life, maybe even death, to get to the other side where there is this crown of life waiting. How do we have faith that that crown of life is there and that we're on the path for it? Well, I think, again, we walk by faith and not by sight. Um, But I would say, and as I've been in those moments myself, you continually return to Christ. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And so obviously Jesus is not here in the flesh, um, so I can't physically look at him but I fix the eyes of my faith on Jesus, and I continually return to him. I continually return to his promises. And that is such a vital part of living out our faith, particularly in terms of suffering. God, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand, but I trust you, and I trust that you hold my eternity in your hand. And if I can trust that you hold my eternity, then I can trust that you hold this moment too. So, Lord, I look to you, and I'm begging you for your help. Strengthen me, encourage me, grant to me your peace that passes all understanding. With that peace, guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, but I'm going to continually return to you. And there's a discipline to that because you will be tempted in suffering by Satan 
to say, God is not here, God does not love me, God does not care, it's all a big hoax, there is no eternal hope. I mean, all those things will come at you, and you just continually have to return to the truth. That's why it's so important that we have God's Word hidden in our heart, and that we have God's Word open before us, and that we um, have become accustomed to the discipline of returning to Christ over and over and over even when I don't feel like it. Now, let me say one other word. There is a sense in which I think good Christians feel like, well, we can't ever doubt God because, you know, that's that's not good. And it's, it's not that we're doubting God. But I think that when we take our honest struggles of, God, where are you? God, do you care what's happening to me? God, it doesn't make sense to me that this will work out for my good we take those honest questions and those honest feelings to him, God meets us there. And God, through his spirit and through his word and through the encouragement of fellow believers, will remind us repeatedly, I'm here, and I really am working all this together for good to you. I know this is hard right now, but trust me, follow me. One day you'll see how this all works out and all will be well. I think that's really important to hear. It it makes me think of some of the prophets, Moses or Jeremiah or Elijah, who more or less are arguing with God for their case. Why Why is so much suffering happening? And it's, they're, they're arguing, right? They're having this, you know, debate with God, like Job, you know, yeah. bring up Job. And then that's, you know, by having that exchange, by having that care to talk to God and get out your emotions, you're connecting with him so that he can connect back with you. Does that... Does that sound right? Yeah, and and so you think about Elijah when he comes to his moment of deepest despair. And what does God do when Elijah is saying, I'm the only one left, they even want to take my life, nobody cares about you, I've tried to be faithful, this is where I am, it is enough, I'm no better than my fathers, let me die. What does God do? Well, he doesn't smite Elijah, he is kind to him. He says, Elijah, lay down, take a nap which is amazing to me that God's like, take a nap. Then Elijah wakes up. Here's some bread. Eat. Nourish yourself. You have a journey ahead of you. You need to be strengthened for your journey. After you eat, take a nap. It's going to be okay. And then I will sustain you. And then only then does God say, here's how this is going to work out. And so I think for all of us, that's so encouraging because sometimes God calls us to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 4610. Literally, let your hands hang down. Well, if you're asleep, your hands are hanging down. You're not doing anything um, and trusting that God is God. And so throughout Scripture, we see these great characters of the faith who had great struggles in the faith. And God is so kind to us to show us how he meets them in their struggle and thereby to remind us how he meets us in our struggle too. Yeah. So it's time for our listener question today. So if you do have a question about a sermon or a Bible study or just the Christian life in general, please submit that because we'd love to answer it on the show. You can go to firstbaptistbg.org slash worship and click podcasts, and there's a form to submit your question. So, Jeff, the question for today is, why hasn't Jesus returned? Can we hasten or delay his coming? Yet again, we have some very thoughtful listeners, and this is a great question. The, the quick answer to this question of why hasn't Jesus returned is, 
it isn't time yet. In Acts chapter 17, when the Apostle Paul is on the Areopagus, he's on Mars Hill, and he is sharing about Jesus with the greatest philosophers in the world, he says, and this is Acts 17, verse 31, says that he, God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Jesus. But notice that he says that God has fixed a day when he will judge the world. And so essentially, God has it in mind that just when the the fullness of time had come, he sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. When the fullness of time comes for the return of Christ, God will make that decision. Um, God knows that day. He has fixed that day. So in that sense, no, there's not anything that we can do to hasten or delay it. However, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, in speaking about the signs of his coming, and that's a great chapter to go and read and and really take in Jesus' teaching on what to look for in anticipation of his return. But he says in Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So while God has fixed this day, he nevertheless has given us something to be doing that um, will fulfill his purposes and then bring about the end. So in other words, it's, it's not that we can change God's mind about when he's coming, but it's that our job as we await his return is to proclaim the gospel to all nations. Absolutely. It's a it's a tough age. It's a tough world out there, but we have the salve. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for everything you've shared today. I've gotten a lot out of today. Uh, would you mind praying us out? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your leadership in our lives. We thank you that though we plan our ways, you determine our steps. And while we can't always understand what's going on in us and around us, we know that you continually call us to yourself, that your Holy Spirit within the hearts and lives of believers continually compels us to come back to you, to look to you, to trust and follow you. And so, Lord, we know that there are some listeners right now who are enduring remarkable suffering. Lord, draw them to look to Jesus. Draw them to look to your word. Draw them to look to your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, through your Spirit, remind them that if they are in Christ, what awaits them is the crown of life, and that the suffering they are now enduring will not have the final word in their life. In fact, the suffering that they are enduring won't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in them in the end. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help all of us walk by faith and not by sight, that you would help all of us to persevere, to endure, and to look to Jesus in every moment. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel and submit a question to the link in our show notes. For even more First Baptist content, visit firstbaptistbg.org.